Hey friends, this is Holly Bame Lytle, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism in the Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences, raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's panel of exceptional autism parents. Okay, so I am joined today with another very diverse and large group of parents that are going to be talking about how do you make it fair among your typical and special needs kids. And of this group, it's going to be interesting because we have three dads joining us today. And so I always love to have the dad perspective on some of these topics because you look at it and can see it kind of from both parenting ends, which is fantastic. So thanks for joining us. I guess my number one question, first and foremost, is it even possible when you have special needs and typical children, do you really feel like it is possible to make it fair? And if you have found that you're able to make it fair, like share those little gems, but that would be my number one topic is, is that I work and talk to hundreds of families that have uh, special needs kids. And that is always the number one topic, the guilt and the frustration of just trying to make that balance. So what does that look like for you guys? Hi, I'm David. My daughter, Morgan, is 10 years old and she's on the spectrum and she has a sister, nine-year-old now, named Piper. The notion is, and the kids won't get this. I don't think they'll ever get this. I can't treat you the same, but I will treat you fair, equally fair. I can't treat you equally because there's no way the one thing that I do for this kid is going to work for you and, and vice versa. It's just not possible. And this, I think, is for typical kids, but certainly when you have a kid in our situation. Seemingly right now, it doesn't work. If you ask Piper, it clearly doesn't work. She is a flaming ball of resentment. I remember sitting here, I don't know what it was, we were talking about something in a group in that room and somebody said, oh, well, your kid probably allots, you know, makes special allotments for you as parents because they don't want to disrupt things. I'm like, no, that's not Piper at all. She doesn't mind disrupting us about anything. She doesn't seem to have the sympathy gene when it comes to Morgan at all. In fact, it's almost as if she believes that, you know, Morgan keeps getting special treatment. And, you know, you have this notion, well, someday she'll kind of be her uh, keeper and she'll kind of nurture her and protect her and haven't seen any of that. What we try to do, what I try to do to compensate for all those things that seem to be going on with Piper is just make special time for her. Daddy-daughter dates that Morgan doesn't even get anyway. She doesn't want to go to a restaurant. She doesn't want to be out in public very long. But Piper certainly does. And in those moments, I try to keep it lighthearted and not real heavy. I don't want to drill her at that. I I did try to drill her down at one point about specifics going on, and she just shrunk away. I'm like, okay, we got to keep this completely lighter. We This is not the time or forum to get into the deep stuff right now. In fact, you probably need a break from all that. And that's the one way to balance it. We try to do it in the heat of the moment when you're trying to be fair. I mean, it's almost like you see your kid. I am trying to be fair here. Don't you get it? I'm being incredibly fair. My notion is it may or may not be right is somewhere down the road. She's going to look back and see that we were making the best attempt possible to be fair. And once she gets a better grasp of this as she matures, just doesn't seem to be there right now. But, you know, that's our effort anyway. I think you've said it before, John, is, is that, you know, wisdom is based on the old. And I'm with you, too, because, of course, my daughter, Kelly, is friends 
house with Piper. And so it's actually kind of nice because for me, it kind of normalizes the fact that, oh, good. So I am not the only one that has a daughter who's super pissed off about the fact that things are not fair. But I tell my kids, you know what? I'm actually preparing you for life. The world is not a fair place. You know, as much as you would love for it to be fair and equal among everybody all over the place, all over the world, it's never going to be that way. And unfortunately, how we that plays out here is, is that Caleb is different. And, you know, as such, we have to accommodate that differently. But I also try and point out to Kelly is, is that, you know what, there are things that Caleb can't do. For instance, I don't feel comfortable leaving Caleb home alone. Um, I would feel more comfortable leaving Kelly, who's just eight, home alone so I could run to the store or, oh my gosh, my friend, I got to go pick them up at the airport, you know, and, and drop them off real quick and feel way more comfortable leaving Kelly home alone. Whereas with Caleb, it's like, Caleb, get in the car. You know what I mean? Caleb, get in the car. I get that you're older and you're 10. And Caleb actually is really frustrated because it's like, I don't want to go. I just want to stay home. And he gets mad because he's not allowed to have those um, benefits. Like I would be more, or sometimes this is probably not the best parenting move, but I have had to say, okay, I have to go run and do something real quick. Kelly, keep an eye on Caleb. And that pisses Caleb off because it's like, I don't need any, I don't need my little sister watching me. I am perfectly okay. And then the smoke alarms go off because he burnt his toast or, you know what I'm saying? Stupid. He leaves the bathroom sink on and he floods the bathroom and Caleb gets actually, there is a little bit of frustration where Caleb knows he is parented different, but um, it's difficult for us to really break down the fact that, well, the reason why, you know, I don't want to have that conversation. Well, it's because you have autism and you're an absent-minded professor and you flooded the bathroom 14 times. But you know what I mean? So you have to be kind of gentle about how I rule that out to Kayla about why things are different. But it doesn't matter to Kelly. Like it doesn't matter that, you know, if she, you know, something is different and in, in what she deems to be unfair, she will not pull off of the instances where, hey, remember... I have left you in charge and had you be in charge and watch Caleb and make sure he doesn't flip the bathroom or leave the refrigerator door open. So, you know, you have perks that he doesn't have. She doesn't give a crap about any of that. Now, keep in mind, obviously she's eight, but yeah, she doesn't have, you know, and she is empathetic at times, but yeah, I don't know. It's very frustrating. Hi, I'm Tanya. I have an eight-year-old with autism, Logan, and I have a five-year-old, typical child. And right now, my kids are at the age where my five-year-old is still young enough. He doesn't really realize they are parented a little bit different, but he's only five. Right now, with Logan, I have to spend extra time with him working on things, working on school stuff, whereas... Colin just started kindergarten, but he doesn't get that extra time. Yeah, I think my daughter tries to pretend like she's dumb, so I have to spend time doing her homework with her. And I'm just like, I, you've showed me how to do this to help your brother. So don't now pretend like you don't know how to do it just so that I have to spend time doing homework with you. That's the kind of stuff she does. It's so frustrating. So yeah. I totally know what you yeah. mean. Yeah, I mean, things just come easier for yeah. Colin, so I don't really have to do the extra work with him. However, my kids are only two and a half years apart, which is nice. Logan's biggest struggle is his social skills and working. And so they're brothers. They fight. They have conflict. And so the nice thing about that is we have a family meeting and we work it out together. Yelling escalates my child with autism, actually. The calmer you stay, the better you are going to have to get through doing what's going on. Yesterday, they were fighting over a sword. And so we sat down and I didn't see what had happened. So I gave them each a turn to talk. They each held a ball. And I was like, whoever had the ball talks and tell me what happened. And we kind of were able to work through it. By the end of it, they were hugging each other and happy. But I do have to parent differently. Logan doesn't have a lot of patience. Sometimes he gets first choice with like watching things than his brother does because Colin's able to wait better, you know, like little things like that. So far, I don't really have the resentment yet because he's five and he doesn't really know 
Harmon. I have a 19-year-old daughter uh, named Amy who's nonverbal autistic, and we do have two sons. And I'm here with my wife, Shelly, and we're a little bit farther along. I think it does get better. You know, there's resentment at a younger age, and everything everybody said is perfectly right. You know, you want to spend as much time with each of your children, and everybody's interests are different, and you, you just try to do the best you can. But as time has gone on, Riley, who's my youngest, I think was a little had a little bit more difficulty with it just because I think he was the youngest. But as time has gone on, I, he steps up for Amy now, and He's still, you know, a work in progress as far as trying to understand what's going on with his sister and why we have to spend more time at times or why Amy reacts the way she does. But he's, it, it does get better, I think, um, as long as you invest the time in each of your children and really get involved in their interests so that they all feel like they're involved. Really, I just, whatever interest he has, he's more sports right now. So obviously we go shoot hoop or uh, spend time outside with uh, Jacob. It's also the same thing, but he also, we were in a fantasy football league together. We do things together, which I think keeps you involved. And uh, yeah, I just try to find different interests. I, I'm not really the video game kind of dad though. That's, they do live in that world. I do try to go in and watch it, but I don't participate really. So I'm Shelly. I'm the parent, other parent of Amy. And I think I've talked to Holly about this before. We used to take all the kids to events, like to the fair, to Green Bluff, to, you know, whatever it be. And we have found that that is almost... Um, because of Amy's hesitance to participate in some of that stuff, she has a meltdown or whatever, then we leave. It's better to just take the boys to that. So we separate out a lot of things. Sometimes we do things as a family and sometimes we just do things with the boys because then we don't have to end up leaving, which then the boys get resentful about because we always have to leave because of Amy. So we now go to the fair and we might leave Amy home with grandpa or we go to a football game, which we would never take her to just with the boys. So we've had to separate out our time. We still do some things together, but it's more selective. Well, realistically, Amy's happier being at home. Right. Right. And the boys get to know that they're not going to have to leave in the middle of something because it's just not going well for Amy. So I think that's awesome. I just have a quick question. This is Christine, and I only have an only child, so I can't speak to this, but I do have questions. Did you feel that when you first started doing that, that maybe there was some parent guilt about leaving your child at home? And how did you get through that, deal with that process? That Because I would think that if I had another child, that I would I would deal with that, that I would find making the choice to do that difficult at first, but then it sounds like on the other side of that, you realize for everybody involved, and maybe that's that fairness thing, how do you make it fair for everybody? If Amy wants to stay home and she's more comfortable, then that's fair to her, that it's unfair to take her out into those places. And then it makes it fair for the boys because they still get to do all of those things. But how did you process through like that initial deciding to do that. The guilt for me came from, um, we're a real family-oriented you know, family. I, I grew up, we were very close, Harms family is very close. And the guilt for me was, this. these are family things to do. We can't not take her. We have to have the pictures at Green Bluff of all of us. And what is that picture going to look like if Amy's not in it? And so I would think I was laying a lot of guilt on myself about that. And when I separated out and realized that, yes, Amy was not having a fun time, the boys were resentful because we were heading home all the time. How can we make everybody happy? That was removing myself out of the picture and going, this is what we should do because we're a family versus this is really what it needs to look like. And everybody, like you said, will be happy. Amy's totally happy being at home. When are we, when am I, I should say, giving into the autism as opposed to doing something that's healthy for her? Meaning, should I have pushed her a little harder in this particular instance as opposed to letting her off the hook? This is just in my individual instance. It's those are all those oh, questions. That's, that's the struggle. All of that. those questions. It's a struggle on every 
on every level, it's, yeah. you know. Well, and but for us, I, it wasn't an easy decision. We tried and yeah. tried and tried, yeah. you know, and then it was like, okay, this just isn't, this isn't working. And I think what happens down the road is you find the cues within that kid that lets you know, they're telling you, yeah. I am going to make this miserable for you, regardless of how much <laughs> that uh, you're going to try to educate, push, slash, advance me. Then you start figuring out the cues. So you learn that whole, when is it the the autism or when am I giving into the autism and when am I, when am I really saying I am listening to what that my child is telling me and that's, I, I've got to honor that. Mm -hmm. The next thing I'm going to actually talk about, and this doesn't apply to all of the families that are here, Shelly and Harm, you have two neurotypical boys and your daughter has autism. Tani, you were talking about the fact that you have the two boys. David, you have two daughters. So in my particular family dynamic, I have my son, Caleb, who's 10 with autism. And then I have my neurotypical daughter who's eight. And I have a neurotypical son who's 14. And I have noticed, and I am interested, I'm equally interested to hear feedback from other parents is I have noticed that how the boys versus, you know, how my son versus my daughter, his disappointment is more quiet. And I think more internalized. If he's disappointed, he's not going to vocalize that he's pissed. I might notice that he's going to be maybe more, um, you know, off doing his own thing and maybe just a little bit more quiet. Whereas when my daughter is pissed off about something being not fair and equal, she is very vocal about it. And she wants to talk about it. She wants to be emotional about it. She wants to use and also go through the arc. Archives. I, oh, my daughter is the go through the archives and pull out every single instance of injustice that she can pull upon. It doesn't matter if it happened last week or when she was two. She's going to pull it out and have very strong feelings and being very vocal about it. And so I'm curious whether or not, John, I know you have the same dynamic, although your your kids are older. Do you feel like there's a difference between how your neurotypical son and your neurotypical daughter respond to that fairness meter when it comes to your son with autism? Mike Schwimmer, she's older. He's 15 now, and uh, my oldest boy is a senior in high school now. He seems to have, have accepted it a little more, a little easier than the girl has. My, my daughter, she wants attention, and she's quick to point out the fact that, you know, Cooper gets this and Cooper gets that. And recently, the cell phone situation, I was uh, inclined to give in sometimes to her demands to try to make it more fair. But I think that she have to be careful because even with, with the typical kids, they can try and manipulate the situation a little bit. Use it a little leverage there. And, you know, sometimes yeah. I give into it and I realize it at times, and, but that's part of trying to show them that I'm trying to be fair. And I think David mentioned it earlier about there's no way to make it completely fair. You just got to try and do the best you can. I think at the end of the day, they realize it. Sometimes that with my daughter, I have to point that out. My boy, not so much. I think he's a little better at hiding the fact that he feels like he's been slighted at some point or another. But, you know, I do a lot of things for, for all my kids to make sure that they feel like they're inclusive. And, and like you guys said, activities for us include things that if Cooper has a meltdown, well, he has a meltdown and that's just the way it is. Oh, so you still make him do it regardless? I do, but it's a lot of things we do with camping and hiking and, and things like that, where if he's screaming out in the woods, nobody really cares. <laughs> out in the back. You know, the oh, okay, back. I hear it. Yeah, okay. Here's one final question I'm going to ask, and maybe we have something to add to it or not. In my family, um, my kids have a, a fairness scale amongst themselves. Um, I know that Kelly gives Caleb a pass in a lot of things. So Caleb, if he steps in her room to do something, she's going to be more tolerant of him being in there for a short period of time. Tyler steps just a hair over the line, the threshold of her bedroom, and she becomes physically violent. You know what I'm saying? Where I have 
have noticed just even within the siblings, there is kind of this whole tolerance thing. And I know some of you guys only have two children. Um, so it's not easy to measure that, but I'm just curious, partly for my own sanity. Tell me, is anybody else experienced this? Cause I'm curious. Like, Logan, the oldest boy, he and his sister are pretty opinionated and neither one of them want to back down. I don't think uh, Cooper really kind of floats around and they really tolerate his presence in just about everything pretty much. But boy, when it comes between the, those two, man, they can fight like nobody's business. Like in my house, I'm not even kidding you. If the dog goes in Kelly's room, it's get out of my room. Kayla motors in there and she'll tolerate. And it's like, okay, you know, like our CR is what she calls him. All right, CR, like, okay, it's time to go, you know, get out of my room basically. But she's much more, I mean, like a cat, a dog or her older brothers should walk into her room and there is hell to pay. The only passes would be myself. And that's just because I'm putting away laundry, most likely. And Caleb. And again, it's not that she won't kick him out, but she's just a little more gentle about how she will do it. Not always, because sometimes she's just, you know, pissed at the world. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up this particular episode of Autism in the Wild. Stay tuned. There's lots of different podcasts that um, and lots of different topics that probably appeal to a lot of different families. So check them out. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.